0: mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness, I'll be sharing numerous stories, all written by weirdo family members like you. Some may be morbid, some creepy, some just dark – but they are all interesting. Before I begin, please do me the favor of sharing the podcast with just one person in your life right now. Text them, email them, whatever works best. Just reach out to a single person that you know and suggest they give the podcast a listen. Now bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. The House That Shook by Methven Hello? I thought I'd share my real-life and true story with you for your podcast. I enjoy listening to your stories and find myself being able to relate to some of them occasionally. In addition to my main story here, I worked as a Texas police officer and deputy sheriff, so needless to say I have seen some really crazy and unexplainable things over my career. So, the year is 1984 in Jackson, Mississippi. I was a very energetic and inquisitive 14-year-old who loved to have fun, explore creepy and abandoned places. I, like many other 14-year-old boys, had my usual group of buddies who, again, like me, were always looking for something fun and exciting to get into. Many nights after our parents were asleep, two or three of us would group up and simply hang out or ride our bikes around, prowling the neighborhood area looking for something to do. We'd quietly ride our bikes around our neighborhood telling spooky stories and trying to scare each other, never imagining that I was about to be thrust right into the middle of a paranormal event. Unknown to me during this time, my parents were looking into buying a house in our neighborhood that was really cool-looking but a little creepy to me and my buddies as we had ridden past the home many times while out late at night messing around. Although I knew the home was old, looked empty and mysterious, I've always still loved old things. Old people, old houses, and old cars. The home was only about a mile from where my buddies and I lived at that time, so I got the news mom and dad had completed the purchase of the home. A short time later, they take me to the home for the first time. As I entered through the front door of the house, I immediately noticed a very musty smell of something very old. The home was in decent shape inside but needed new paint, wallpaper, and good carpet cleaning. I couldn't help but notice that the home had a rather creepy feel, although I did not give much credit to my feeling. I just assumed I felt that way because of its neglected age. Also I was pumped up because my bedroom was huge. The red brick home with big round white columns was built in 1955 by the people my parents had bought it from. We were told the daughter of the elderly lady who lived there had to be placed in a nursing home due to her inability to take care of herself. So her daughter removed her from the home and then immediately placed the house up for sale. The home did not set empty for long before my mother discovered it was for sale, although mom and dad did not get all the details behind the family who lived there. Everything seemed normal, though. Besides, mom fell in love with the home, so nothing would swayed her from wanting to own it anyway. In the coming weeks, my dad, mom, and I began working inside the home to get it ready to move in. We all participated in painting, wallpapering, and fixing little things that needed repair. As we spent our evenings and nights working inside the home alone, everything went along as normal, no issues. During this time, we all tried to learn everything we could about the home, but explored every aspect of it. One of the creepiest places was right as you enter the front door foyer. There's a set of beautiful stairs leading up to the attic – something that looked like would have been built if the house would have had an actual second story, but this home was only one story. We ascended the stairs to find a single door. We opened the door and viewed the entire north end of the home's unfinished attic. We observed an extremely thick layer of dust, dirt, and grime about the makeshift five or six pieces of plywood laying loosely about although none of us spoke a word, it was obvious that we all felt really creeped out by what we were seeing and feeling. So, back to the repairs. As you can imagine, this put quite a damper on my late-night explorations with my buddies. After spending weeks of late-night working to help get the home ready, it took a toll on my energy levels. After a couple of weeks, we had completed everything that mom and dad wanted to do prior to moving in. The day had finally come. Moving day. As we started moving in our boxes and furniture, we were all so excited to be in such a beautiful, antique, and big home. As we moved in, unpacked, and started to get settled in, everything was as normal as one could expect. My room was in the northwest corner of the home. Mom and Dad's was the master bedroom at the northeast corner of the home. Leading from the separated living and dining room was a long hallway that led to our bedrooms. None of us were never much for leaving lights on at night, so typically, most evenings and nights, the only light in the living room was from the television. Because my dad owned a retail business, he and mom were always winning awards from corporate for how well he ran his business. Because of this, mom and dad spent many evenings at banquets and dinners. This left me alone in this huge home. I never much thought anything of it as I was busy watching TV, riding my motorcycle, which I was not allowed to do at night. I kept my dirt bike on the inset back porch. The entire back wall of the living room was solid glass that looked out onto the back porch. When Mom and Dad were gone, I'd always head out on my dirt bike, riding for one or two hours in the woods around the neighborhood. I started noticing when I'd come home and ride my bike into the gated porch area, Looking into the dark living room through the dark glass, I always felt like I was being watched, and I felt very unnerved. I recall many times the hairs on my neck would stand up. Although I could not validate my creeped-out feelings, I just kept dismissing it off as being paranoid. After all, these feelings were those of which me and my buddies used to use in attempting to scare each other, and none of that could be true, right? Of course, I also could not mention this to my parents, since I was not supposed to be outside while they were gone anyway. So throwing those feelings off and continuing on living life, I was always focused on having fun, not worrying over creepy things that don't exist. One summer night, Mom and Dad left for a banquet that would last two or three hours. With every light in the house turned off, I settled in on the couch in the living room for an evening of watching TV. Alone in the house, with only my 10-week-old puppy laying on my chest while I watched TV, I heard a series of very loud banging on the kitchen cabinet doors, opening and slamming shut. I literally jumped from the couch like I was on fire, ran into the kitchen only to discover… nothing. I stood in the doorway of the kitchen, trying to catch my breath and thinking that I was dreaming or hearing things. So, after a few minutes of standing there considering what I think I just heard. I returned to the couch with self confidence and knowing that I'd only imagined what I thought I'd heard. So now, settled back on the couch with my puppy back on my chest, I made sure to stay awake and continued watching TV as I had done before. I've been watching again for approximately five, ten minutes when BAM! the kitchen cabinet doors began opening and slamming shut for what seemed like hundreds of times a second. This time I stayed on the couch and peered into the kitchen waiting to see if I could see anything. After I stayed hidden in the couch for a couple minutes, everything stopped. I am now one million percent convinced what I heard. I slowly crept into the dining area and on into the kitchen where I turned on the lights to find nothing out of place. To satisfy my mind, I went over, opened, and slammed one of the cabinet doors shut to verify the sounds. Yes, just as I had heard. It was the exact same sound. Okay, I'm standing there in the kitchen, scared to death, not knowing what to do or even what to think. After standing there frozen for a few moments, I slowly left the kitchen and began walking through the house, turning on every light. After this, I returned to the living room where I sat in a chair facing the kitchen door so I could keep an eye on things. I sat there not moving an inch. I continued to remain frozen with fear. Mom and Dad finally pulled into the drive. I ran out of the house and I met them in the carport and explained what had happened. As I explained in a panicked frame of mind, Mom and Dad merely suggested I was hearing things and that the kitchen cabinet doors could not open and close on their own. I was adamant that it did happen but the more I explained, the less credibility I achieved. I know what I heard, so I continued on to bed and tried to put it behind me. For the next several weeks, nothing. I kept riding my dirt bike and every time I put it back on the porch, that thick, pressured feeling of peering eyes on me, it never ceased. I just got used to that feeling and I didn't let it affect me as much as I could. Life went on as normal, until one still quiet and dark night when we were all in our beds asleep, when we all awoke to the sound of an eardrum busting BAM and the entire house shaking exactly like that of an earthquake. By the time I jumped to my feet, Mom and Dad were already coming down the hall with a flashlight and immediately questioned me to see if I had heard the same thing they did. I explained to them, yes, felt like a tree fell on the house. With all three of us standing there speechless, We followed Dad outside, where we did a perimeter check of the property and the roof of the house. Not one single limb, branch, or anything anywhere in the yard or on the roof. All the neighbors were asleep with lights off. We felt kind of weird standing in our yard with our PJs with a flashlight looking for something that wasn't there. Dad decided to call the police to come out and take a look. The officer arrived, Dad explained everything to him, and asked if he'd searched the property, which he did. The officer advised no one else in the area had reported any such noise, so that left us only to complain about what we experienced and feeling somewhat embarrassed. Once the officer completed his check of our property, he explained he found nothing abnormal, so we all thanked the officer, he left, and we returned to bed. Of course, we didn't sleep, and instead, I just stared at the ceiling the rest of the night. The next day, we really didn't speak of the experience, as we all thought we had just imagined hearing something. A couple weeks have now passed. We're all in bed asleep when, bam, the house shook much like that of an earthquake. Again, I jumped from my bed, only meeting Mom and Dad in the hallway again, asking me if I had heard it once again. I explained, yes, 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 what's going on? None knew what to do once again. Dad grabbed his flashlight and once again we exited the house, searching the perimeter and the roof only to find nothing. Again, Dad called the police. This time, two officers showed up. We all explained in great detail exactly what had happened. The officers again searched the outside of the home and the roof only to find, of course, nothing. This time, Dad asked the officers to search the inside of the house. They searched and found nothing. As they were about to exit the front door from the foyer, Dad asked them to take a look in the attic. They ascended the staircase, opened the door into the pitch-black attic to find nothing. The dust on the rafters had not even been disturbed. There's no way this can be. Something happened, yet we have no answers. The officers explained they'd come by a few times a night and walk the property over the next few nights, which we very much appreciated. A few weeks more passed. I was lying in my bed in the dark with my thoughts from the day just rambling through my mind. Before I eventually drifted off to sleep, I hear footsteps creeping across the ceiling, literally right above my bed. I freeze with my eyes fixed on the location of each step as these sounds cross the ceiling of my room. I quietly slip out of my bed, creep down the hall into my parents' room where I awaken my mother and explain what's going on. Once again, they both arise quietly and follow me back to my room. As we enter my room, silence. Nothing. After us three standing there in complete silence for a few minutes, Dad returns to bed. Mom stays with me a bit longer, only to find nothing more but silence. Eventually, she returned to bed. I stayed in my bed, frozen like a block of ice, not moving so much as a finger, with only my eyes wandering about the room searching for something, anything. I eventually drifted off to sleep. For the next three or four nights, the same thing occurs. Footsteps across my ceiling without any reason. One afternoon, after my many times of explaining these occurrences to my parents, we all ascend the stairs, open the attic door, and shine the flashlight over the entire area of my ceiling that was covered in undisturbed dust and dirt. How can this be? There's no way. I heard what I heard, and I heard footsteps walking across my ceiling right over my head. Now the dust and dirt in the attic directly over my bed has not been disturbed, if ever? Are we all going crazy? I never spoke of this to my buddies. They would have just laughed at me and said that I was crazy, although spooky stuff like this was a common topic of our discussions. So as fate would have it, Dad sold his business, and we moved back to my hometown in Texas. My parents sold the home to a psychiatrist who planned to make the home into her offices. So the sale was completed, we packed and moved. My mother gave the new homeowner her brother's phone number in case she needed anything or had any questions about the house. Now residing in Texas, my mother received a phone call a few weeks later from her brother. We'll call my uncle Bob. Bob said the new owner, the psychiatrist lady, called him fussing and was very ticked about the house we'll call her Sally. Bob said Sally claimed that my parents sold her a haunted house and she was getting a lawyer to file suit. Bob asked her how she came to that conclusion. She explained that she had a carpenter enter the home where he began knocking out walls and remodeling when one day, while inside the home, a strong wind practically blew him down the hallway. He said he heard a baby crying in the master bedroom, yet he could not locate the source of the crying the carpenter ran out of the house and refused to go back in. During the same time, Sally hired a man to install all new phone lines and cables throughout her home. One Saturday, the man showed up with his son to begin his tasks. Not long after he and his son began pulling wires and installing wall pockets for the phone connection plugs, they stated that they both nearly were blown down from a very forceful wind coming from the hallway. He said they both immediately froze, just stood there, while witnessing the transparent figure of an old lady in a dress walking towards them coming from the hallway where our bedrooms were. He said that he and his son ran as hard as they could out of the house and refused to ever re-enter it. Sally told Bob that she also contacted a priest to come and investigate the activity. She said a priest arrived where she met him in the driveway, and he asked Sally if this was the home she wanted him to check out. She said yes, this is it. Sally said at that moment the priest refused to exit his vehicle. He explained to her that he would not set foot anywhere on this property and he hastily drove away. Sally said she was convinced the home was haunted and she wanted her money back. During all of this back and forth between my parents and the new owner, mom and dad called the daughter of the lady who had bought the home from initially. The daughter explained her parents built the home in 1955 lived there many years, and raised their children there until several years prior to my parents buying the home. Her dad unexpectedly died in the master bedroom where my parents slept. Of course, mom and dad did not mention any of the activity we'd experienced, but we were the only family to live in the home other than her and her parents. Well, since mom, dad, nor I could prove with any validity that the home was haunted, we did not by law have to disclose our experience in the past. Mom and dad hired a lawyer who consulted with Sally's lawyer and it was concluded no legal action could be taken. Shortly after this mess, Sally boarded the windows and sealed up the home until she eventually was able to sell it. The home has since been sold a few times, with each new tenant only occupying the home for a very short period. Today, the home sits empty and unoccupied. Is the home haunted? Again, I cannot say with any proof it is, However, I do believe it is, after all that happened during and after the time we lived in the home. I consider this to be just another unsolved paranormal mystery that we will probably never know what truly has and continues to go on in this house. You shut yourself in, the lights are out, and you're listening to weird darkness. But suddenly, you get that feeling you're not alone you don't know what might be under the bed, or in the closet, or in the attic, or in the room with you. You don't dare try to sleep now. You're too scared to. If you doze off, you might be vulnerable to the creatures who haunt your dreams. That's just one more reason to have weird dark roast coffee in the cupboard, because you just never know when you might need it. Lost in the Hosiery Mill by Weagle I can remember as a child when my dad worked as a shift manager at a hosiery mill in a rough neighborhood close to Rossville, Georgia. I remember going by with my mom to see him at work for he'd be there working until dusk. Or I'd go with him to work on the weekends where he'd work half a day and then we'd hit up the flea market down the street together. Anyway, everyone was always talking in hushed tones about a ghostly lady roaming about the hosiery mill both day and night. Most everyone who had seen her said she was petite, had shoulder-length curly hair, wore a Civil War-era dress and was completely transparent. If approached and questioned as why she was there or what she was doing, she would simply vanish into thin air. But she would also roam the floor of the mill as if she were searching for someone or something perhaps maybe she was searching for a lost love? But it was also said that every time she appeared, something would happen. Banks of overhead fluorescent lights would shut off row by row as she walked. Security alarms would shut off completely or go haywire and call the police. Knitting machines and conveyor belts would turn off by themselves. Office doors would lock and all the contents therein would be discovered to be strewn about when the doors to the locked rooms were finally opened even maintenance would report seeing her sitting on their equipment out in the maintenance bay from time to time. Who knows if she's still there? For you see, that mill has been abandoned for years now. The Man in the Bathroom by Fay As unbelievable as this sounds, I assure you it is 100% true back in 2004, we'd been renting space for our theater company. The building the space occupied was the site of the former Green Bay Packer Hall of Fame, which had been recently moved to a more modern space in the atrium of the upgraded stadium. The space I'm speaking of was the Hall of Fame's first permanent facility and was formally dedicated on April 3, 1976 by President Gerald R. Ford. It consisted of a huge, open space and a large office. The bathrooms were located in an area on the other side of the building. In order to reach them, we'd have to go through a long, dark, unused area which could be quite eerie, especially when it was very quiet and there were very few of us in the building. It was quite common for my husband and I to bring all the kids with us to the rehearsals, since there was plenty of space to run around, play with all the props and costumes. It was endless fun for our three little ones as well as the children of all the cast members. My middle son, who was four at the time, was always a little fearless daredevil and, shall I say, sensitive to the spirit world, as many children are at that age. I was working in the office one evening, and he came racing in a bit breathless. Mama, there's a man in the bathroom walking in circles. I said hi to him, but he didn't answer. Well, since our family was the only ones on the property at the time, this was a bit alarming, so I took his hand and we made our way through the dark path to the bathrooms. As we walked there, he told me the man was wearing a black hoodie with the hood up and he had no feet, even though he was going in circles. As we entered the bathroom, there was a slight feeling of thickness in the air. The lights then proceeded to flicker on and off a number of times. It wasn't scary, really. It made me smile, actually, because I knew it was something paranormal, but it felt completely harmless. My son said, he was right there, mama, and he pointed to the area in front of the sinks. I, of course, saw nothing, but I assured my son that all was okay and we should just go back and play with his brother and sister, not wanting to make a big deal about it. It was soon forgotten. Months later, we were at a friend's house, and they had a very large Green Bay Packer memorial book on their coffee table, complete with many full-page photographs as we were paging through, there was a photo of Vince Lombardi on the sidelines of a game wearing a black hoodie over his head. My son excitedly pointed to it and said, Mama, that was the man in the bathroom at our work. Later, I came across an article that mentioned Vince's wife and talked about how, after he died, she liked to spend time at the Hall of Fame because she felt his presence there and it gave her comfort. How kind sweet to hear that she was able to feel her beloved Vince even after his passing and how lovely that my son was able to see him, albeit briefly, in a place that he obviously felt such pride about even after he left this plane. The Creeper in the Woods by Courtney H. It was 2003. I was in eighth grade, so about 13 years old. My family was fairly poor, and my dad had a hard time keeping a stable job, so we moved around a lot in my childhood. We just moved from Mississippi to North Carolina and found a dated A-frame house nestled quaintly on the side of a mountain with a creek at the bottom of the hill. The house was surprisingly cheap, probably because it was previously a vacation rental that wasn't getting much business by the looks of it. The house had an odd vibe, to say the least. I'd explored the woods by my house several times that summer, even becoming lost at one point, but after a couple of hours of following the creek, I eventually made it back to my house. That's when I must have caught the attention of someone or something because the woods got much creepier after that. School started up, and I had to take the bus to school. I was the only one living on top of that mountain, so I had to be at my bus stop at 5.30 a.m. because I was the farthest one out, so I was the first on the route. My bus stop was across the street from my house. The road that was adjacent to my house that I waited on led to a vacant house. It had been on the market for years. Honestly, you wouldn't even know it was there if you didn't live in the area because it was about three miles up the road. So, it was just us at the top of the mountain, with most of our neighbors peppered here and there on the way down. I would wait by the bus stop in the dark with my porch light across the street being the only illumination, but I wasn't nervous or paranoid, although that was soon to change. Some mornings while waiting, I could hear the panthers screaming deep in the woods. If you've ever heard it, you'd know it sounds like a woman getting murdered. If my dad hadn't warned me about it beforehand, I probably would have crapped my pants the first time I heard it. Well, I almost did, despite that knowledge. So by late September, I started getting that paranoid vibe. I'd feel like I was being watched. I'd hear twigs snapping behind me. I'd go inside and tell my dad, but he assured me it was probably only a deer and not to worry. Well, every day the feeling got worse and worse. By December, before Christmas break, I was pretty much waiting by my front door and listening for the bus to start coming up the mountain before I made my way across the street. Well, Christmas and New Year's came and went and It was the first day of school for the new year. The bus was running a little late, so it was lighter out, and a light mist hung along the road. So this particular time, I decided that I'd quit being a sissy and just wait out there like a big girl. I'd regret that decision. While I'm waiting, I had that paranoid feeling stronger than ever. So strong the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up. I gave a quick glance around and nothing. I convinced myself I was being a wuss. I couldn't shake it, though. Then I hear the twigs snapping. It's just a deer, I tell myself. But the snaps got closer and closer and closer. Every cell in my being was telling me to turn around. Honestly, I believe God Himself yelled at me to turn around. I did turn around when I heard the snap of a twig and the sound of a shoe on pavement behind me. Unbeknownst to me that my nightmare of nightmares was standing about twenty feet from me. What looked like, I can only describe as someone wearing the scream outfit without the ghost face mask, it was standing there, almost like he was wearing a long black cloak with no face. We looked at each other for what seemed like an eternity. My heart stopped and I froze, just staring at whoever this was sneaking up behind me. In reality, it was probably only a couple of seconds, but they didn't run away. No. The cloaked man sidestepped into the woods and disappeared. As soon as they disappeared, I booked it into my house and I tried to wake my dad, but it was no good and then I hear the bus honking, and I sprint to the bus and I'm, I'm trying to explain to the bus driver the horror of what I've just experienced. She just tells me to sit down and tell the resource officer when I get to school. So I get to school and I tell the resource officers. They send some officers out there to investigate and, of course, nothing. I never went back out to the woods or that bus stop again. We moved a couple of weeks after the incident. To this day, I do not go into the woods alone. You never know who could be lurking. And what if I'd never turned around? Well, I would have probably ended up as an unsolved mystery on weird darkness. My House Called Itself by HoneyBunny7837Garcia Hi Darren wanted to tell you a story, one of many stories, that my family and I have experienced in one of the houses that we lived in. This house was moved onto the property, I don't know when, but I do know the house was built in the 1950s. We had a pretty good time there, my sister, my niece, and I. But after a while, I began to notice a presence in the house. I'd be there just watching TV, all alone, just chilling out, not paying any attention to anything at all, and all of a sudden there was a presence in the house. Is a very unnerving experience indeed. But the weirdest thing to happen was when our house called itself. At this time, no one was at home with my sister having work, me having medical problems, and my niece with school. The house was empty all day. When we came home at the end of the day, I always had this weird habit of checking the answering machine. Well, the oddest thing just happened with the call on the line. The caller ID showed that it was our actual house number, and the message was just somebody breathing very deeply and loudly. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever experienced. No joke, our house called us. I never felt the presence was bad, but it was just very unsettling, especially with me being blind. It always just came all of a sudden. I wouldn't even have to think about it. I'd refer to him, he'd just show up and literally just stand and watch me. We didn't live long in the house, just a few more years, but we experienced many things in every single dwelling we've ever lived in. But that's a story for another time. Thanks for everything that you do and for having this podcast. It's really awesome. Very, very good job, Darren. Keep up the good work. Thank you again. The Island by Damian Cunningham Howdy, Weird Darkness team! Here's some info on an unusual feature that might be worthy of the podcast. Deep in the Argentine marshlands, there is a near-perfect, perfect circular lake containing bizarrely perfect circular disk that floats and moves on an axis within. The lake is 120 meters in diameter and has unusually clear and cool water for its location. How the floating disk is formed, maintained, and why or how it floats on an axis is still a mystery. There's no other natural formations like this anywhere on the planet. What's the purpose of this island? Is it a beacon? What's it contain? The lake and its residents of the island have left us with more questions than answers. By the way, uh I did look this up after reading Damien's email. If you just do a quick search for Argentine Marsh I E Y E land, you'll see pictures of what he's talking about. It is kind of cool and creepy that nobody knows why it's happening. The Lost Soldier by A.J. Jacobson My father was in the military while I was growing up, so my family and I moved around a lot. I'm an only child and I'm very close with both of my parents. Before I started middle school, my father got an assignment in Washington, D.C. We were looking for housing in Virginia and decided to buy a new home. While the house was being built, we found a temporary apartment in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Now, Fredericksburg is a famous historic site, George Washington's boyhood home is there, and there are a number of old Civil War battlegrounds in the area. In fact, there are almost constant Civil War reenactments going on throughout the year. This apartment we were living in was nothing special, two bedrooms, two baths. I was staying in the master bedroom, which had a door that opened out to the living room. Shortly after moving in, I started noticing some strange things, but things that I shrugged off and attributed to an overactive imagination. I remember waking up one night and looking through my open door into the living room. I could see the rocking chair rocking. I waited, thinking I'd see my mother get out of the chair, but I never did. The chair stopped rocking and my mother was asleep in her bedroom. Well, I thought, maybe I'm still just dreaming. This rocking chair incident happened a few times, but I never felt afraid. Whatever was making the chair rock was not malicious in any way. After living in the apartment for a few months, I had my most vivid encounter with a ghost. I was sitting at the dining room table, doing my homework with the overhead light on above me. I very clearly saw a man's shadow pass over my homework, as if a man had just walked behind my chair. I turned around and said, "'Oh, Dad, I have a question.' And then I trailed off. My dad and my mom were both in their room down the hall. There was no one else in the apartment. Who had just walked behind me? I was spooked, but again, I didn't feel afraid for my safety or anything like that. We lived in that apartment for a few more months, and I started to get a feeling that this ghost that visited us was a Civil War soldier." I can't say why I had that feeling. I just felt that this soldier was wandering around looking for something. Maybe his old troop? Or maybe he was coming home to his family? I never felt frightened when I thought he was around, but instead I felt sad that he was alone. I hope my Fredericksburg ghost can find what he's looking for and rest in peace. Why I don't watch ghost stories on the internet anymore. By M. Sparks. I've been debating on whether I should share this story or not, but I feel that what I experienced is important to share for anyone who has some interest in the paranormal. First off, let me give you some info. I'm 32 years old, happily married, and the owner of three cats. I'm also a believer in God and Jesus and attend my church regularly. I know what you're thinking another one of these people why is he shoving his belief down our throats? Before you skip this part, I just ask that you listen. This part is important for later. For most of my life, I had a huge interest in the paranormal. While in college, I took many ghost walks and even participated in a few ghost hunts. I experienced my share of EVPs and cold spots. I've even seen items move on their own. I was always curious what these experiences were and what was causing them but as I got older, I've weaned myself off from these activities since I learned that spirits can follow and even attach themselves to you. However, I still fed my interest by watching YouTube videos about ghosts caught on video and people who were reckless enough to mess with a Ouija board – anything that would feed my paranormal hunger. I got so into these videos that I often had to open window blinds and turn on lights in order to help dissipate the creepiness. I never really thought much about what I was watching because I was home, I was in a safe place, I was a believer. I had nothing to fear of a few videos that gave me a good case of the chills. This thought was a mistake, one I would eventually pay for. One morning I woke up around 4 o'clock. It was still dark outside and the house was quiet. I was a little uncomfortable so I wiggled slightly to try and get comfortable in my bed. Settling for a position on my back, I heard one of our three cats begin to meow. Nothing out of the ordinary, our cats would often serenade us in the wee hours of the morning. However, this was a little different because at the same time our echo began talking in our living room. This is not out of the ordinary either because the echo is placed right beneath our TV and would often pick up sounds from the show we were watching. But it was four in the morning. The TV was off. The house was quiet there was no reason for the echo to turn on. Within seconds of hearing the cat and echo, a sound filled my ears which I can only describe as the sound a microphone makes when you place it too close to a speaker. I was in shock. All I could think was, wow, that's loud. I reach over to my wife, who was still asleep, to say, hey, you hear that? But then I realized that I couldn't move my arm. I couldn't move anything. I was completely paralyzed. It felt like a great weight was pinning me to the bed. In a panic, I tried calling out to my wife, but all I could muster was a futile squeak. I began to panic. I couldn't speak or move. At this moment, a feeling of dread came over me. It was a feeling that if I didn't do something quick, I would witness something I didn't want to see. That's when the thought came into my head. Call to Jesus. Say his name. With everything I had, I squeaked out, Jesus! Jesus! and continued to mouth his name when I had no strength left to squeak. Within seconds, the sound went away, and I could move again. I sat up, horrified at what had just happened to me. My wife then woke up, and I told her everything that had just happened. We prayed before attempting to go back to sleep. It was one of the most horrifying nights in my life. Now, I know some people are saying this is just another case of sleep paralysis, but I dismissed that because I was awake and mobile moments before this all happened. I also know what it feels like to have sleep paralysis, as I have experienced some paralysis after I've woken up from a nightmare in the past. I know what it feels like, and it doesn't feel like this felt. I don't watch any paranormal videos anymore. Spooky creepypastas and shows like Weird Darkness are all I'm able to get into now. I want to say this now that I'm not writing this to you for attention. I'm writing this today because I want to warn anyone out there who might be interested in the paranormal and might watch the same things I used to watch. Please be careful. Anything can become a doorway, and you may not like what decides to walk through it. The Provo Canyon Entity by Kyle I've never been huge into believing in ghosts around us or anything of the matter, especially not seeing actual forms. Several years back, me and my wife and another couple were walking down Provo Canyon in Utah. It was dusk, so not quite dark, but also not fully lit. We were near the end of the trail and on the left side there was a bench and maybe three, four or five smaller trees. We were about 100 feet from approaching this area, when it seemed there was a shadow standing there, walking towards us. Being darker and in the shade of the trees, it was mostly just shadow, no details, but I still didn't even think it was anything but a person. That's how realistic it seemed. Suddenly, the shadow absorbed or dissolved into the shade of the trees. Again, these trees were small, maybe only a few feet in depth, and you could see the other side of them, so it's not like he hid in the trees we would have seen it coming out the other side. Feeling confused, I didn't even say anything initially. Not even to my wife. I didn't want to be the only one to see it and feel stupid, so I just kept walking. After only about 10 more seconds, the husband of the other couple mentioned, so no one else is saying it, but I'm not the only one that saw that person dissolve into the trees, right? Me and my wife instantly agreed and felt so cold and creeped out three of the four of us had all seen the exact same figure, and none of us could explain it. The only person who didn't see it was looking down at her child at the time. It made us not even want to walk past the area, but we did, and sure enough, the trees were not thick, no one was standing in them or behind them. That experience has forever changed my thoughts on the spirit world, and I never drive past that area without thinking about who or what we saw. My Daughter's Sleep Paralysis by Robert Foster My oldest daughter, who is now 21 and doing fine, was having almost nightly episodes of sleep paralysis when she was 15. Before it started, she'd have a hard time at school, cutting classes and getting failing grades. The paralysis started after she decided to stop cutting class and take her schoolwork more seriously. I had no idea it was happening until one day she asked me if it was normal to feel somebody climb on your chest until you can't move or breathe. I had her look up sleep paralysis, or old hag, and she told me it sounded like what she'd been experiencing, except she hadn't seen anyone because when it happened she was too afraid to open her eyes. I told her until I could think of something to call on Jesus to help her, even if it's just in her head or the Our Father prayer. Luckily, About this time, I'd heard an ad for Blessed Medallions on Dave Schrader's Darkness radio show. I bought her a blessed St. Michael medal that had a crystal on the chain and told her to wear it at all times. Being 15, she wouldn't wear it because of the crystal. She was afraid her friends would see it and think that she was new age or something. In the meantime, she was seeing a lady who would climb on her chest and she could even feel the woman's breath on her face. At that time, I worked swing shift and would get home after midnight and go to bed around one or two in the morning. One night after work, I was going to bed and noticed her light was on, and I was going to go turn it off. As I reached for the light switch, she sat up suddenly and pleaded with me not to turn it off because she was seeing the old woman at the foot of her bed, along with two children who were laughing at her, and the woman kept telling her, just wait, I'll get you. She felt the only reason that they were holding off was because she was wearing the necklace. I saw nothing, by the way. Eventually, she did turn things at school around, and the sleep paralysis did stop. She still has and wears the necklace. Bristol and all, to this day. Hey, weirdos! Our next Weirdo Watch Party is taking place Thursday night, June 9th, CJ, Scarlett and their son they make up the Mansion of Mystery show, and they're bringing us a Samurai Ghost Story, the film that introduced Japanese cinema to the world. It's Rashomon from 1950. In the film, the rape of a bride and the murder of her Samurai husband are recalled from the perspectives of a bandit, the bride, a woodcutter, and the Samurai's ghost. We're having a party this time on a Thursday night just to see how dedicated some of you weirdos are. The Weirdo Watch Party is always free, so grab your popcorn, candy, and soda and jump into the live chat as we watch a classic presented by Mansion of Mystery, 1950's Rashomon. It's Thursday, June 9th. The movie starts at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. in Hawaii, and 1 a.m. for our Greenwich Mean Time viewers. You can find a trailer for the movie and also watch horror hosts and be horror movies all day long, every day of the year, on the Weirdo Watch Party page at WeirdDarkness.com. Miracle at the Creek by Veronica Stewart Hi Darren. I had a few experiences with the paranormal in my life. I've had a few run-ins with ghosts those are stories for another time. Today, I want to share my story of a near-death experience when I was a kid. For a long time, I never shared with anyone out of fear of not being believed. I'm past that now, and here goes my story. One summer day, the end of my third grade year, my best friend invited me to come along to go down to the neighborhood creek. We lived in a small town in Wisconsin, and the creek was a wooded area behind a park down the street from our house. My friend Crystal, along with her uncle, stepdad, and I, walked through the small wooded area to the creek. We decided to just get in the water and and walk it to see where it'd lead us. Not a smart idea for two girls who couldn't swim, but hey, we trusted the adults. As we walked, talked, and played, we noticed the water had gotten deeper. The water was waist deep on my friend and I, so the guys came up with the idea to put us on their shoulders. Crystal's uncle put me on his shoulders and Crystal's stepdad had her on his shoulders. As soon as they had us comfortably on their shoulders and had taken their first step, we all went down. There was a drop-off underneath the water. I panicked, trying to swim up to the surface for air, but I couldn't quite get there. Someone from below pushed me up, but yet again I couldn't reach the surface. All I kept thinking about was my mom, how she would never find me because I was going to die, how hurt she'd be, I prayed and asked God not to let me die. I kept saying this in my mind. Then, at my last breath, I thought to myself, there is no God. Right then, a white light, a tunnel, a man's voice spoke and called me by name. I walked this beautiful tunnel of light following the voice. I saw a beautiful, curly-haired little girl dressed in all white smiling at me. As I continued to walk, I felt a peace and I didn't want to leave. I don't have any memory of what happened during that time. All I remember hearing was the man's voice telling me I have to go back and the words, when I call, come. No one knows how this happened. On the way home, we were all silent until Crystal's uncle asked what had happened. Crystal and her dad were on the other side of the creek from where we were. The uncle told us when he tried to push me up, he noticed I wasn't moving. In fact, he thought that I had drowned because I looked frozen stiff in the water the men tried saving us. The miracle happened when we all came forth from the water. My friend Crystal was on her stepdad's shoulders. I was on Crystal's uncle's shoulders coming onto the shore in shallow water. No one could figure out what had happened. I never told my story with them that day, and now I wish I had. They very well may have believed me. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. My Little Hometown is Weirder Than I Thought by Jeff D. Hey Darren, absolutely love the show. As a writer and enjoyer of creepy stories and an aspiring voice actor, there are gazillions of reasons to listen and love, even though I have to do so alone. I've only started telling this story recently. I heard you mention my smallish hometown of Spanish Fork, Utah, at the end of July, and it made me realize that more strange things happened per capita there than I realized. When I was a kid, I moved into the basement of the house my grandpa built, and I thought life was perfect. I was the only one down there. There was a really cold, creepy spot at the base of the stairs, but I didn't think much of it at first. As time went on, it got worse. A lot worse. To the point that I was almost 19, I had to turn off the lights on a specific order so as to not be left in the dark while in the line of sight of that spot. The place had grown. It wasn't just a place where you could stand anymore. It was pretty much the whole basement, especially during the night. If I could, I avoided going down there. It wasn't so much a scary feeling as just not being welcome or wanted and when I knew we had been the only owners, I didn't know how that was the case. My parents finally noticed the basement freaked me out, and my dad said it was probably the ghost of the furnace guy. Now, I can never tell when my dad's pulling my leg when he says this kind of stuff, but I know how I felt, and something was really wrong. So, I did something stupid. As a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, many people use the pejorative term Mormon, I received priesthood authority and duties as part of the lay priesthood. One of the things we're authorized to do is bless homes to sanctify them. So I tried this and things seemed to calm down. I thought I'd done it all by myself, but I soon realized you're not supposed to do that kind of thing on your own. I soon went on a mission, but while in the missionary training center, started having severe mental health issues. One night after lights out, I felt the familiar, unsafe, unwelcome coldness wash over me, along with a voice. It was deep and grating. It said, you're mine, and then laughed for what seemed like hours. I did not sleep that night. The voice came twice more, saying that it always would be there, and I belonged to it. I'm 32 now and my wife, kids, and I have had a lot of troubles, to the point where I have felt cursed, and I have wondered if it has to do with my going into this situation unprepared. Whatever it is, I antagonized a malicious spirit in my basement as a kid, and now I worry that I am still paying for that mistake. Texas oil field worker encounters aliens by Ronnie Dawson. The story I'm about to tell you seems too incredible to be true. I assure you, it is. My images and story have been researched by experts across the globe. If I was trying to fake anything, I would have been called out years ago. I've even filed FAA low-craft reports regarding the encounter – a crime punishable by law to fraudulently file such a report. The FAA suggested I file a report to New Fork, National UFO Reporting Center. The term they used to describe the craft in the photo was UFO. The pictures were captured in 2011, but the story begins two years earlier, in 2009. You see, I'm just an old truck driver. I work in the oil field, loading petroleum crude oil and transporting it to the pipeline facilities. It's nice working outdoors. I've seen enough sunrises and sunsets to fill three lifetimes. I often wondered if there really were UFO craft out there. Surely I'd have come across one, but I hadn't, and I'd been out in rural locations at night across Texas for 24 years. That all changed in 2009. I began seeing these balls of light that moved above the tree line. They came on, went off, dropped to the ground, popped back up, and then blinked out. You could hardly go out at night and not see them. Then I saw my first craft. It was sitting above a rural vacation home. It was late afternoon, and I was excited I was fixing to get a picture of this thing. The zoom lens opened on the camera, and then it went dark with no reasonable explanation. I followed the thing as it left shining my spotlight on it. I was frustrated at my missed opportunity. I contacted a friend of mine, Alan. I explained I wanted to video record a UFO while shooting a laser near the craft and record any beam deviation that might result from the craft's propulsion system. He gave me an odd look but agreed to assist me on the endeavor. This project was my way of thinking outside the box. A video of a UFO with a laser beam being distorted would be a solid piece of evidence in the case for proof of alien visitation. We were set. All we needed was for the ET to show up. To our amazement, they did. A four-light craft appeared. It was craft sighting number three in an eight-day period. I fired the laser all around the craft and upon its surface. Unfortunately, there was no beam deviation that I had hoped for. The craft showed absolutely no sign of reflectibility when the laser was fired on its surface. I took my eyes off the craft briefly to make sure my camera was recording this all he was staring at the craft aghast with his mouth open and the video camera lay on the chair next to him. He had never seen a UFO before and the sight of it just bedazzled him. That and perhaps the fear that my laser might trigger a response from the thing that could leave our scorched remains imprinted on the ground where we had stood. By the time we got to the camera and powered it up, the thing just simply vanished before our eyes. I wondered how the ET might feel about us experimenting on their craft with our Earth technology, and I was about to find out. The next night, I was just headed to bed. My feet had just left the floor as I laid in my bed, and I heard a noise in the kitchen. I tried to get up to check on it and realized I was frozen in my bed. My cat came running into the bedroom and joined me on the bed. The noise continued, and then I saw something streak past the bedroom door it was moving so fast my eyes couldn't focus on it. I could hear the opening of drawers and cabinets, and then they streaked by again. This time, one stopped in the doorway. I could see it clearly. It was about 18 inches tall and was transitioning from a four-legged running position to standing vertically. It had a face like an old man, tight eyes and thin, tight lips. It was wearing a very tight-fitting body armor or had an exoskeleton. It looked at the other two, then all three immediately ran under the bed that I was trapped in. The cat ran out of the room and the things began bouncing me on the bed frame. I could hear them clawing at the box springs and tearing the box spring cover. I was terrified and pissed off at the same time. I tried to jump out of this hold and kill these damn things. I could do nothing. They opened the gun cabinet where the laser was kept. The activity seemed to stop. Suddenly, I sprang out of bed and cursed and grabbed a golf club. It was like the actions I had attempted were frozen and had suddenly been released and now it felt like my body was acting on its own. I went on an alien hunt, but they were gone. I went a whole year and saw nothing. I wondered if I might never see anything like that again. I was working nights in rural Coleman County in north central Texas. As I came upon my lease location, I saw a three light craft leave the ground. I recognized the lights immediately. It went dark after lifting off the ground. I had a feeling it was still around. It appeared again a few hundred yards away. It went down to the ground. The lights were still on. I started a video and it leaped from 200 yards and landed on the ground again. It sat there for a second, then shot up and traveled a mile in two seconds, then stopped. It went dark, then appeared frighteningly close to me. Then it started moving straight to my location. This was getting scary. I hid behind the tanks and then moved to hide behind an oil field separator. I took a picture of the thing with a huge white light on inside a compartment underneath the disc. I could see the shape of the disc directly over my head blocking out the stars in the sky. I wanted to run, but my legs were shaking so hard I could hardly walk. I got a picture from my hiding spot. I was just waiting for something to come charging at me from the darkness. To my relief, it began backing away then went dark. An F-16 jet streaked right over the top of my head where the UFO was. It turned and headed out. It was not even out of sight when the lights came on again. There was a cluster of lights circling over my location. I readied my camera, which was almost full already. The sky began changing color. It was like a fog bank was rolling in out of the fog came a monster of a craft. It was pointed like the tip of a giant sphere. Made of solid rock, I thought briefly this might be a giant meteor. It passed over me in my location, massive in size and scope. It blocked out most of the stars and it took several seconds to completely pass over. If it had fell out of the sky, it would take a golf cart to drive around the wreckage. There'd be no way to hide this thing from the public. I steadied myself. This was the shot of a lifetime, the thing every photographer in the world dreams of, a once in a lifetime opportunity to catch something you'll never see again and that nobody has ever seen before. I had to pull it off. This thing pendulated and slowed to a stop. This has to be the most amazing sight anyone's ever witnessed. Not enough light to make for a picture, the viewscreen just shows total darkness. This thing started moving again in a different direction. It began moving so slowly, but then it began moving incredibly quick. air was rushing across its surface. Twin vortexes where the air around it was rushing in to fill the vacuum it created. It was moving and my time to get the shot was running out. It would be gone forever. It was a mile away and I aimed the eye of my camera at it and hit record. It almost seemed like it stopped in mid-flight and transitioned back at me. I was looking at its topside for the first time. A city embedded onto the surface of it. Odd structure buildings, towers with lights on them, a row of burning flares like a refinery process was going on, a series of glowing blue power lines stretching across the surface. So much to take in, but this thing was coming back at me. The thoughts of hiding again started. It stopped again and made a sweep around me and headed up to the stars at a 45-degree angle. In four seconds, it was just stars moving across the sky again. I was celebrating like a high school girl just asked a prom. E.T.'s probably still laughing at me on alien YouTube. I expected it to be all over the news. There are three radars within 150 miles. Abilene Regional Airport, Dias Air Force Base, 600-mile military radar at Snyder, Texas. Nobody saw a half-mile craft fly over North Texas on March 2, 2011 at 9 p.m. I find that impossible to believe. We have been working to enhance the footage since 2011. New software in 2014 took us from seven still-frame images of the video to 32. This sighting continues to make news all across the globe. I published a book entitled Ronnie Dawson UFO Story on Barnes & Noble and Amazon to tell the whole story and share the images. The images defy logic. I cannot begin to explain what they are. I can assure you, they are authentic. If you like what you're hearing in Weird Darkness, please tell somebody about the podcast – someone you know who loves creepy, strange stuff like you do. Also, please leave a rating and review of the podcast in the podcast app you listen from doing so helps the show to get noticed. In fact, we've set it up now so that if you listen to the podcast in the Spreaker Podcast Player, you can comment on individual episodes and I'll be notified so I can see your comments and respond to them. That's something I can't do in other podcast apps. You can find the free Spreaker Podcast Player in your mobile app store. And thanks for helping to spread the weird darkness. Lily, The Thirteenth Sign by Kelly Maida I've always had a deep inner knowing. As a child, I can always guess people's names and know things. I have messages in my dreams and they've come true. I've heard the name. I was always drawn to witches and the supernatural. As I grew up, I decided to go to a psychic to find out what all of this meant. I always felt different and from a different time or place. When I went to the psychic, she told me I was a witch in a past life and I was hung and that's why I don't like wearing anything around my neck. I froze for a moment because this is true. I never did like anything right on my neck and never turtlenecks and etc. She went on to tell that she knew I was always drawn to witches and that I was a natural. She said I was a healer and in a past life I was into using herbs to heal people. She told me I was an indigo child and a writer that was meant to write books. She also told me that I met my twin, Flame. I went back to her house a few more times, and on one occasion, I gave her a ride to the hospital to see her aunt. As we were driving home from the hospital, we were on a dark country road in New York. I think we were near Camden, and it was near a farm. All of a sudden, we saw lights in the sky. She swore she saw a spaceship, and I think that's what I saw. It all happened so fast. Then I dropped her off and went home. She called me and said that she remembered the whole night except for the last hour of our time together. And I thought about it, and she was right. It was the strangest thing. Neither one of us could explain it. This was seven years ago. I feel like lemony stickets. My life has been a series of strange and unusual events. A year after that, I was working with a paranormal society. A medium was working with the crew and I asked her if she sensed anyone around me. She senses my grandmother and uncle that passed away. She told me that my uncle wanted to apologize for scaring my daughter when she was two, he was just watching over her and she could see him. I remember this. My daughter always complained of seeing ghosts and not wanting to sleep when she was little. My uncle and grandmother said that they watch over us, and then my grandmother told the medium how she was beaten up severely by my grandfather and that she did not commit suicide like he told everyone. He killed her. The thing is, I never thought she killed herself, and neither did my mother. I was only three when she died, but I always had this feeling that she didn't do it, and here was a psychic telling me what I thought all along. My grandmother then said the reason she was telling me this is because I was around some toxic men and she feared for my life. She said I'd end up like her if I did not change my ways. Every single thing this woman said was all true. We can't prove that my grandfather killed my grandmother. This happened over 40 years ago. They never even did an autopsy on her. My mom said that was because my grandfather worked for the police. I didn't take this warning seriously enough, though last year I was severely attacked and almost killed by my ex. Since then, I have changed everything in my life, and I take everything very seriously. It also reminds me of the first psychic that I went to. She also said I had died in the past by the hands of a man. I've been healing this past year. On social media, my name is Kelly Maida, M-A-I-D-A. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. By the way, I do have links to Kelly's uh, social media in the show notes next to her story. My Demonic Attack by Samantha Parrish I was listening to your podcasts about demons and demonic possession – awesome bonus episode, by the way – and felt compelled to share my own demonic attack. Here goes. I woke up one morning at 5.30 to my alarm clock going off. I wasn't ready to face the day yet, so I rolled to the left so I could reach the clock and hit snooze. As I turned, I felt my blanket catch on something, like when another person is sitting on the blanket and the blankets won't budge. Immediately after feeling the blanket catch, something flipped me onto my back and sat on my chest. I could feel my arms being held down next to my head. I couldn't move at all. My mom was asleep in the next room. I tried to scream for her but couldn't make any noise. I could feel my tongue moving in my mouth, trying to scream, but no sound would come out, only a slight whisper of air. It was horrifying. The only thing I could think to do was to call on Jesus Christ for help. I screamed his name in my mind. Again, I couldn't make a sound. As I finished saying his name, the invisible weight crushing my chest and holding my arms in place was gone. Just Gone. I immediately jumped out of bed and ran to the light switch. Looking at the alarm clock, I saw that it was 5.33. Exactly three minutes had passed since first waking up and encountering this presence. Even though three minutes is not enough time to fall back asleep and have such a vivid dream, I could understand some skeptics saying it was just that, a dream. Except for one thing. The very next thing I did was grab my cell phone and scroll through my contacts to my grandmother's number. She was a devout Christian and I wanted her to tell me what to do after this attack. As soon as I pressed send, my phone screen turned black and never turned on again. It was fully charged, having charged all night, so it wasn't dead. After carrying it to a technician, even they couldn't tell me what was wrong with my phone. I truly believed I was attacked by a demon that morning and that it destroyed my phone because it didn't want me to ask for help from my Christian grandmother." All stories in this episode are purported to be true, and you can find source links or links to the authors in the show notes. The House That Shook was by Methvin. Lost in the Hosiery Mill was by Weigel. The Man in the Bathroom was by Faye. The creeper in the woods is by Courtney H. My house called itself is by Honey Bunny seventy eight thirty seven Garcia. The Eye Land is by Damian Cunningham. The lost soldier was written by A J Jacobson. Why I don't watch ghost stories on the internet anymore was by M Sparks. The Provo Canyon entity is by Kyle. My daughter's sleep paralysis was written by Robert Foster. Miracle at the Creek. Is by Veronica Stewart. My Little Hometown is Weirder Than I Thought is by Jeff D. Texas Oilfield Worker Encounters Aliens by Ronnie Dawson. Lily the Thirteenth Sign is by Kelly Maida. And My Demonic Attack was written by Samantha Parrish. Weird Darkness Theme by Alibi Music. Background music in the episode provided by Shadow Symphony and is used with permission from the artist. Weird Darkness is a registered trademark of Marlar House Productions. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. Mark 11 verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And a final thought, listening is often the only thing needed to help someone. I'm Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. Want to receive the commercial-free version of Weird Darkness every day? For just $5 per month, you can become a patron at WeirdDarkness.com. As a patron, you get commercial-free episodes of Weird Darkness every day, bonus audio, and you also receive chapters of audiobooks as I narrate them, even before the authors and publishers hear them. But more than that, as a patron, you're also helping to reach people who are desperately hurting with depression and anxiety. You get the benefits of being a patron, and you also benefit others who are hurting at the same time. Become a patron at WeirdDarkness.com.